You can't outrun death forever. But you can make the bastard work for it. Welcome to Drive Back the Night, an Andromeda series podcast. <laughs> I'm Ethan Maestri. And I'm Ryan Mazako. And the reason why Ryan's singing and sounds a little, little depressed is uh, we're coming to you live from How Can Tell Drift Brig. Um... Apparently, you have to have a permit to podcast on this station. We didn't realize that. We did not know that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so now we're spending uh, a night in the pokey. Uh, yeah. To the tune of what? What did they say our bail was? What are they shaking us down for? Yeah, we got to come up with about three million guilders. Good um, grief. And you know what? I just don't have that kind of cash flow. I don't either. And I'm getting sick of the gruel that they're feeding us in this yeah, place. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. I like the kibble that they were feeding us the day before better yeah um didn't they import that from (laughs) some other planet hellos nine hellos nine that's right that was a good night uh but hey you know what hellos nine (laughs) if the uh, listeners could help us out though um you want to just send uh three million guilders to uh our paypal account uh ethan what is that uh that's drive back the night podcast at gmail.com that's our our email where you can get in touch with our uh, PayPal account there. Yeah, so just just PayPal us. You yeah. Know, just, um, a few guilders between all of you, I'm sure you can get us out. Yeah. Yeah, so. I think that comes to, what, a million guilders per listener. I think so. Yeah. That's And then that would, uh, that would have... So if all of our listeners would pay that amount, we could get out. That's doable. So we're here to talk uh, for, for this evening, for the evening that we're here in, in the brig on... Uh, uh, where are we again? How can tell drift? Um, we're here to talk about lava and rockets. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. You ready to talk about lava and rockets? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. If there's two things I like talking about, it's lava and rockets. Yeah, I really like rockets. Yeah. Lava's pretty cool. Yeah. I've watched a few National Geographics. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Okay, so let's get into it. Lava yeah. and rockets. Lava and rockets. Uh, you got some uh, some trivia and some fun facts for us? I sure do. All right, so Lava and Rockets was written by Ashley Miller and Zach Stintz, the duo that we've come to be familiar with uh put a pin in that fact that it's ashley miller and zach stents i want to come back to that in our discussion of what we thought about this episode okay so so let's let's like i said put a pin in that we'll come back to it later uh kristen lehman she plays molly noguchi in this episode now she's a very busy television and film actress and she plays a variety of roles most recently appearing in abc's castle she played gwen eaton in the series the killing and she's currently appearing as Detective Flynn in the series Motive. So she's still active in television today. Interestingly, her first credited role is on a series that, besides Andromeda, mm-hmm. is one we like to talk about on this very podcast. Can you guess what it is, Ryan? Is it Star Trek? <laughs> a, a different show. Oh. I, I totally blew past that one. Is it the Commish? Yes, it is. She appeared in a 1995 episode of the Commish. And so we get to add her to the uh, commish alumnist group. Um, 
and, and I've totally lost track of, of where we're at in that tally at this point here in the second season. Uh, not as much as the first season, but you know what? It's, it's, we still got a ways to go. Uh, she received a Gemini Award nomination for this very role that she played in Andromeda. Can, can you call that a Trans Gemini Award? <laughs> she earned a Trans Gemini Award. Oh, wow. A nomination, sorry. Oh, Trans Gemini okay. nomination, uh, but she failed to get the, the Trans Gemini Award. Well, it's an honor just to be nominated. And she didn't get the Gemini Award either. No. <laughs> uh, we also have David Ward, who plays Farrar. And he originally hails from Glasgow, Scotland. And his unique voice has been used since the early 90s in many animated television series. And he also has other sci-fi appearances in shows like The Outer Limits and Stargate SG-1. And then finally, we have Angela Moore. Uh, she plays the corrupt police officer on the Howcantow Drift. Don't we know about those, mm, Ryan? Yes. All too well. All too well. If she seemed like an actress... The guy that- with the rubber glove was surprisingly <laughs> gentle. Uh, yes. Yes, he was. Now, if if Angela Moore seemed like one of those actresses that if you saw her on screen, you thought, haven't I seen her in that show that one time? Well, you're probably right, because she has appeared in many TV series since the 1990s, really too many to, to go through and name. Uh, she's been a very busy actress, uh, especially in television. Too numerous to count, but she appears here in this episode, Lava and Rockets. Uh, and, and one last bit of information that I wanted to bring up. There was a, uh, an eBay auction that just closed, actually, Ryan, uh, for a genuine Halkentau Drift space police uniform. It was actually up on eBay. And uh, the last bid for it, uh, when I looked last, was $157. Wow. For a little piece of actual Andromeda production history. Yeah. And you know what? I am going to blow everyone away when I wear it to the next Comic Con. <laughs> You're the winner! Wow! Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> no. Is that no, true? No, no, it's not it's true. It's not true. Okay. But, but wouldn't it be something? Wouldn't it be something? And to the lucky winner of that uh, Tao Drift Space Police uniform, congratulations. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. <laughs> and that's all I've got for, for fun facts for this episode. Lava and Rockets, Ryan. Okay. Ryan, uh, well... Um, I want to break form real quick. Okay. I know you weren't ready for this, so you didn't know I was going to do this, but um, this is usually the part where we do the summary, and we're going to do that. But I wanted to take just a second and uh, make mention of a of a monumental milestone that we have achieved. Do you know what this is? No, I don't. What is this? Well, right now, as we are recording, what is this, November 30th mm-hmm. that we are recording yes. of 2015? Yes. Do you know where I'm going with this? We've been on for a year. We've been on for a year now. Yeah. Bump fist. All right. You can't see that? That was, through, that was through the grate, mm-hmm. through the bars. Yeah. So we're doing our one-year anniversary show, basically, uh, in a prison. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's good that it took a whole year for us to get arrested the first time. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. It's That's been true. a fun year. I mean, you know, but we can talk more about it in our season two wrap-up show. But there I mean, you, go. you know, we... There you go. You know, had lots of uh, we've had some submarine troubles. We've mm-hmm. had some space mm-hmm. battles, and uh, it yeah. has been an interesting ride, hasn't it? it? it we've it been really, through some adventures. It really has. Yeah. So it's fun to look back on that and reflect. I, and I will. I, I just want to say this while we're while we're on the subject of it, Ryan. It has been a blast for this year to talk about Andromeda and, and do this podcast. Yeah. Just, just being frank. Right, and it's also been fun um, getting other people 
interested in the show. Exactly. Uh, finding out that other friends of mine love the show, <laughs> and I never even knew it until yeah. I told them we do this show, and they're like, I loved that show. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that's cool. I haven't had that experience, oh, but I have. I'm glad that you have. I have. <laughs> and it was fun that one time that it happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah, a year of Drive Back the Night. So that's that's great. And that's mm-hmm. part of our fun facts. So right. thanks for, for bringing that up and pointing that out. Sure. Appreciate it. Now, Ryan, I believe you have the summary for Lava and Rockets for this week. I do. Lava and Rockets. Exposition time with Rami and Becca. Harper is busy fixing the ship while Tyr and Dylan have gone on a weapon supply run. Suddenly, somewhere else, Dylan bursts onto a tour ship with people shooting at him and orders the lone pilot... Molly, to help him escape. It is at this point that she admits that she's never actually flown the ship before. Back on Andromeda, people are having a hard time getting used to the new trance. Becca asks her to go down and help Harper with the repairs. Just then, the Maru arrives, but it's Tyr alone, and no Dylan, which worries the others. Back on the Hildy, that's Molly's ship, they are about to move into slipstream range to make a jump to Enkindu when Omagami, it's Ogami, Who are the Yogami? Well, as Molly explains, a mercenary culture. Deadly killers who never break their word, always keep their promises, and always fulfill their contracts. Molly makes quick maneuver she learned as part of the show and loses the Yogami for now. So let's get to the story according to Tyr. They went to Hakintau Drift to meet up with an old buddy of Tyr's, Farrar Kalinka, who was to set them up with a reputable arms dealer. What they found instead were mercenaries lying in wait to ambush. Assuming they were hired by the Drago Katsoff to kill Tyr, they agreed to split up. But instead, they followed Dylan. Back in a conduit somewhere on the Andromeda, Trance arrives to help Harper with repairs. He acts weird and says thanks but no thanks. Back on the Hildy, the Ogami show up again, with no weapons they need a plan. Dylan has Molly vent the ship's proton and anti-proton tanks, which makes a pretty light show and provides enough cover to make another escape. It also cracked the exotic matter lens on the slip drive. They make it back to Haukentau, where Dylan would like to ask Farrar a few questions. There, Dylan roughs up Farrar a bit. He agrees to provide them with a new part to fix the slipstream drive. Dylan and Molly make their way through spaceport security, Molly holding on to the new matter lens, Dylan holding on to Molly. Molly decides it's her time to make a break for it. She cries for help to the security officers, but they seem more interested in making a quick buck than helping anyone. This puts them in a bad situation, so Dylan fights their way out of it, and they run through the metal detector and back onto the Hildy. Back on the Hildy, Molly accepts that Dylan is her best chance out of this whole mess and agrees to help him. But the Yogami are back already. She can't outrun them, so they have to hide somewhere, like in an atmosphere. Back on the drift, Rami and Tyr are talking with Farrar to see if he knows who sent the mercs after Dylan. After some minor torture technique, they are satisfied that he knows nothing. But he does tell them about Dylan and Molly coming in the day before looking for an exotic matter lens. He even gives them the make and model. That info should be useful later on. Just then, a horde of Ogami come rushing the room and attack. They fight for about five minutes, and Tyr and Rami kill all of them, but not before Farrar is killed, which unleashes anything that Tyr might have been holding back before. It turns out Farrar was Tyr's friend. Back on Andromeda, Harper says some really hurtful things to Trance. 
On the Hildy, Dylan's plan to hide in an atmosphere isn't working, so they decide to hide in volcanoes. Molly skims the surface, dodging the volcanoes, destroying the three origami ships, but the last blast hits them pretty hard, sending them crash-landing to the ground. Later, Dylan is messing with controls and wires and panels and stuff as he plans to take over the Hildy and leave Molly there to wait on the rescue party. She wants to go. She makes her case, and Dylan agrees to let her come along and restores control to her. Back in that same conduit on the Andromeda, where Harper has spent the entire episode, Becca gives Harper an earful about playing nice with new trance. With the slipstream fixed, Dylan and Molly make a run for the Enkindu system. Tyr and, Rami sense, Tyr and Rami sense them from the Maru and follow. Now in the Enkindu system, Dylan and Molly see their salvation in hand when who would arrive on the radar? Morogami waiting for them. They attack. With their engines badly damaged and about to blow, Dylan has an idea. Rami tries to talk to Dylan, but he tells her to cut off communication on the open channel. Just then, the Hildi blows in a magnificent explosion. The Ogami break off. Tyr and Rami are stunned. Fortunately, they ejected the cockpit before the rest of the ship blew. But now they're headed toward the planet way too fast, and their space brakes are out. Dylan opens a channel to the Maru. Rami's all, you're okay, and Dylan's all, no time, you gotta save us from burning up in the planet's atmosphere. Rami takes the helm and catches them just in time. Everyone is safe. So who hired the Ogami to kill Dylan? They don't know, but maybe they'll find out sometime later. Dylan also has a present for Molly. Just what every girl wants. A letter of recommendation to a military academy on Mobius. Now she can pursue her dream of becoming a real pilot. The end. Had a little trouble there this evening, huh? Shut up. <laughs> it's the prison... You know, well, these lights—they're—they're they're they're pretty bad. Yeah, they're pretty bad. They—they they need to hire a maintenance crew to come down here and do some, uh, some maintenance in these cells. Oh man, so much to talk about mm-hmm. in this episode. Well, so much by way of observation. <laughs> okay. In this episode, uh, I'll just start it off right now. Very early on, in the what was the name of the ship? The Hildy. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't catch that, or. Rather, I don't know why I didn't hear that and write it down as mm-hmm. something to make fun of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but anyway, bygones. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Molly makes her first little quick maneuver in the Hildy mm-hmm. and basically throws Dylan across the cockpit. Yeah. yeah. Dylan really needs to learn how to stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> he, he needs to learn how to fall gracefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, those were some very violent <laughs> reactions. And... Uh, I, I guess I, this also goes uh, hand in hand with another observation I had. Why on a tour ship are there not seat belts? <laughs> right. <laughs> For them to strap strap themselves down. Maybe there are, but, you know, have you ever just met those people that refuse to wear a seat belt? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, so, we've so been given it, all huh? the warnings. We know. Yeah. But sometimes people, yeah. Maybe Dylan's just like, it's too constricting. I don't, I don't like it. I just don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> Come on, Dylan. Safety first. Yeah, that's that's all Sa- I'm saying. Safety third, maybe a close second. <laughs> close but, second, but yeah, yeah no. Um, I always kind of wonder about that. Not just in this episode, but pretty much any space show, they have artificial gravity. I, maybe I need to learn more about space physics. But how exactly does inertia work in space as compared to, say, in a moving car? Yeah. 
in a moving car, you don't have an artificial gravity, right? Right. You're dependent on the Earth's gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, in space, on a spaceship... You're creating that gravity. I, yeah, I don't... I, I, I just I think a sudden jolt to the right or to the left. I'm, I'm going to ask, and, and and here we are once more. We we're talking about Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek has. I would just like to point out that I did <laughs> you not didn't bring, bring it, it up. up. I know, I know, I know. Here we are. Uh, Star Trek has what they call inertial compensators. Okay. Right. So they're supposed to dial down the sudden shifts in direction. That a ship might make mm-hmm. so that it's more comfortable for the occupants, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, that's why you're not splattered against the wall whenever the ship jumps to warp speed. Okay. Hmm. Have we had anything like that described here on Andromeda? Mm-hmm. I don't think we have. I don't think so. You have to. You have to assume that something like that is at play. But apparently, the the inertial compensators are dialed way down on the Hildy. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's for the benefit of the uh, the tour people, so they get the full effect of the spinning and you know yeah. whatever. I don't. I, generally speaking, tourists don't really want the full effect. You're right. They want the pretty stuff. You're right. <laughs> without the danger. Right. And, exactly. And without the bruising to the right. body. <laughs> you want you want the the feeling, the sense that you're in danger, but knowing that there actually is no danger. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. That's so, why we okay, like, so like, we like roller, roller coasters and scary movies. Mm-hmm. You, you want that feeling of dangling, but you don't want to be falling out. Exactly. So, okay, so that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what is the what's the deal? I don't know. I think it's just it's just one of those things you gotta you gotta do. You, you gotta throw people around the ship every time someone gets hit. With a torpedo yeah. or a weapon, well, sparks have to come flying out of the controls. I, yeah, exactly. It, it's you know that is the funny thing. This is a show made of random in- wires hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, this show was recorded in two thousand two. I think is when this would have been recorded. Okay, and, and so you think about it. So since the fifties and sixties, from uh, what was the the Lost in Space. Uh, original Star Trek. You have all of these space shows, and from the 50s to 2002, you've got the same thing going on. You know, the camera shakes, and the crew members bounce around inside the walls, you know, inside the ship, and it's it's funny. It's mm-hmm. funny to see that in a more recently made show, and, and, and actually, you know, thinking about... You would think in 50 years they would have something that would keep that from happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then how do we as the viewers know that they got hit? <laughs> it's it's too much money to show exterior shots of every single missile hitting a ship. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You, you got about one or two of those for, you know, for a really good episode. And, and, and not to make this about other shows, but I, I, I'm watching another show that does exactly that. You don't see exterior shots. Uh, all you see is crew reaction, and even the crew reaction is very bland. <laughs> and, and and so I, I I guess they've caught on to that. Hmm. Looking at you, Dark Matter. Special guest appearance by Will Wheaton. <laughs> Will Wheaton, yes, exactly. So I have a question. Okay, what's that? So Molly, she's she's getting ready, right? At the beginning of this episode, she's practicing, practicing her speech. Mm-hmm. She's getting ready to take this this group out on this tour. She's pumped. She's excited. She's read most of the manuals. 
it's her first day on the job, and she hasn't had to deal with people. Right, right. Um, here's where I have a problem. They're getting ready to go with all these people, probably waiting in line outside, getting ready to get on this ship. Mm-hmm. Dylan busts in and says, we got to go. And she's like, okay, but one problem. I've never actually flown this ship before. <laughs> Was she planning on telling that to all of the guests as well? When they all get on board, hey, thanks, here's your tickets. Thank you. Have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so we're getting ready to go. By the way, I've never actually flown this ship before. Yeah. Are there no uh is there is there no training in her training? Somehow what what I see happening is she walks directly out of the simulator having mm-hmm. gotten her pass mm-hmm. and they just hand her this here's your license. Uh your ship is in dock <laughs> dock 5. Uh you're taking a full crew out, you know, tomorrow morning. Great. Or, or a full tour out tomorrow tomorrow morning. Did great in the simulator by the way. Yeah. But you're not going to actually get any seat time until it's time to go out. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. Must be a cost thing. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, proton and anti-proton bursts. Yeah. I just wanted to draw attention to that. Uh, my day job is I work uh, with a copier supplier, uh, service and supplies. Okay. So I deal with toner, you know, that, that goes in, in the, the large copier that, you know, you have probably sitting next to you in your cubicle, uh, listener. Um, yeah, I, I deal in that sort of thing. And, and so the the proton and anti proton burst when I saw it on screen looked an awful lot to me like a uh, spilled magenta toner cartridge. Did it? <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. Huh. Uh, so I just that little observation I just had to bring that out. Yeah, cool. Looked like it was a glass plate with magenta spilled magenta toner spilled on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure. Maybe that we should save this for later, and maybe we can save it for later. We kind of want to hit on it just real quick. Um, they don't know who sent the the mercenaries. They assume it's got to be the Drago Cats off sending the Yogami after after Tyr. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's their plan? Let's split up. Oh, Tyr and Dylan yeah. splitting up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, they must be after you. Tell you what, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> Maybe one of us will get back to Andromeda. <laughs> Yeah. Now it kind of backfired because it turns out they were going after Dylan, but uh, right. So that does let us know that perhaps it is not the Drago Kessoff that are after him, or maybe it is. I don't know. I don't. Know. Are, are, I'm just going to ask. Okay. Are we going to get an answer later? Should we remember this episode? I can't tell you that. Okay. Because it'd be telling too much or too little. I don't know. <laughs> Very good, sir. <clears throat> Uh, so I have a name for an Ogami football team. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Ogami Skeletors. What do you think? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. The, the way they look and everything? Yeah. I, I was know. I was kind of thinking uh, the, the thing from Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, they had, like, the bony ridges and stuff. And that's that's exactly yeah. what made me think of, you know, He-Man, Skeletor okay. from, from my childhood. Right. Cartoon. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of joked about it a little bit in the summary about Harper pretty much spending the entire episode in that one conduit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I was thinking, th- not just this episode, but throughout the whole series of Andromeda to this point, have we ever actually seen another conduit? <laughs> uh, 
That's the same conduit from the pilot episode, I believe, isn't I it? I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess just a little inside. Recently, my wife has taken an interest in watching Andromeda. So I've actually gone back in between when we do our show. I also, uh, several evenings a week, go back and you're, watch. You're I'm, re, I'm re, re, re-watching re, re Andromeda, <laughs> this time with my wife. And yeah. uh, so, it's interesting. I'm catching some things that I never caught before from because from a different perspective of covering these shows like we have mm-hmm. this far and then going back and watching some of those others. Now there are certain things that are kind of sticking out. It's like, <laughs> hmm, that's weird. But we can talk about some of those at another point sometime. But here's one of the things that stuck out to me was that it's the same conduit. Yes. We keep seeing it over and over and over again. Now, here's what I like. They have stopped the uh, the back-and-forth submarine view camera work, <laughs> where it looks like the the camera is on some sort of a, a side-to-side tilty platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's going back. They've stopped doing that. Uh, and, and, I, and I can't even think of the scene now. Did they have the fan going behind with the light behind it? Off off camera. Oh, I don't remember with that. With the the shifting the like a like a fan blades going between the light. Mm, I no? don't know. Okay. Um, I, I just I have to bring attention to it. The fight scene between Rami and Tyr and the Ogami. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Rami flying through the air? Um, I was a little confused on exactly how. She was able to do that. Um, running on the walls, you know, I guess yeah, I can kind of see that. She gets enough uh, enough centrifugal force going, you know. You can. It's kind of like those rides at the carnival. They spin around fast enough. Uh, okay, uh, on that, you're right. I give that a pass. But I'm thinking maybe she's got like magnets or something in her feet that she can. She has built-in hoverboards. Yeah, something something to that effect. Yeah. So that well, means no, no, we're no, going to no, have to wait another 3,000 no, years for like, like magnetic shoes. Okay. The, or, or magnetic feet. Where she can... she can. Well, I just meant on the principle of the hoverboard. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, you're right. I, I can give that a pass. But the the actual... Yeah. Was well, that just a poorly done production? <laughs> she was going really fast through the air, for one thing. Um, yeah. Was she Was she flying, or was she falling with style? You're right. It looked like she was flying, didn't it? Yeah, it did look like she was flying through the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what? Where's she been hiding that trick? I know she could fly this whole time. Man, think about how that would have gone with when the Magog attacked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> untouchable. She would have been untouchable. Okay, so you know that was I. I had a thought about that. Just wanted to bring it up here. Headwear in the 51st century. Yeah. What'd you think about that? Did you notice that at all? On, on Hockenthal Drift, mm-hmm. uh, Dylan and, and Molly are making their way forward, and they're going to get shaken down by the police. Mm-hmm. But did you not notice the people around them? The headwear of the 51st century is awful. Okay. <laughs> it is terrible. Uh, it looked like uh, you know part of your grandfather, great-great-grandfather still... Uh, on top of one person's head, you know, just mm-hmm. a squiggly aluminum <laughs> line, you know, just coming out of out of something, you know, attached to the hair. It was, uh, it, why is it that some some episodes actually portray 
future fashion pretty it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't draw attention to right. itself. Look at Harper's shirt. I mean, it looks like what I got on right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has he has very contemporary looking t shirts, mm-hmm. and you could you could say, well, that's probably going to come back in the style. Sure, it, it all goes eight or nine way. dozen times mm-hmm. between now and three thousand years in the future. Um, the headwear, I don't understand why. Uh, is contemporary fashion? A fashion every day for for a traveler, is that really what they're going to be wearing? I I don't think so. I I cannot see that happening, and I don't understand why sci-fi does this in its shows where they take so you're these saying, extremes. You're saying it looked like a still on top of his head. <laughs> it did okay. It, did. Right. it looked like a whiskey still sitting I, on top of a person's. I head. can't say because I didn't notice. I didn't see it because during that whole scene, um, my focus is on. Dylan's death grip on Molly's arm. <laughs> okay, yes. Granted. Um, so I didn't notice anyone else's headwear. Okay. But I'm just going to take a stab at this. Based on what you're describing, we have precedent Okay. in Andromeda. Okay. Um, the Castilians, they have to wear a certain apparatus in order for them to be able to breathe because they don't breathe air. They have to be able to breathe the water in... An air environment. Right. So maybe this is some type of a special species that has to breathe alcohol. Uh, it looked an awful lot like a human female. I well, mean, Castilians are human. So these are alcohol breathers. <laughs> They've got to wear a still on their head, and it's pumped into their lungs or into their circulatory system somehow. So they're breathing, they're bourbon breathers. Yeah. Wow. That's what I want to be converted to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want that genetic modification 3,000 years in the future. Or sooner. Or sooner. <laughs> Let's do it tomorrow. Let's do I don't it care. tomorrow. Uh, okay. All right. I'll, I'll accept that okay. in light of... Nothing else to go on. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, there's precedent, though, you know? Oh, and then finally, uh, Becca, man, she does the stern mother look quite well, doesn't she? Mm. Mm-hmm. When she's talking with Harper there in the... Uh, the Wherever Harper was. Wherever Harper was. Oh, I think he... Uh, was that the scene he was in the... Sitting in the conduit? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, she comes in. She stands over him, arms crossed. Man. I was uncomfortable watching that scene because I was having flashbacks to my childhood, you know? Mm, right. So. No anyway. questions. <laughs> yeah, but go to your room. <laughs> Did you clean your room? No. <laughs> Dang it. Did you take the trash out? No. Oh, that's not funny because I still get that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, let's, uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, what did we learn about this episode and about the, the, the universe that is Andromeda? Uh, I'll tell you one of the coolest things that I think we got from this episode was the Ogami. Yeah. A whole new, a whole new race, right. a whole new alien race, a whole alien race, a whole new monoculture. <laughs> Evidently this entire race of alien, their sole purpose is to be mercenaries and to, to always fulfill their contracts. Right. They always. will never, never renege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny that you bring it up that way. That it's a monoculture, you know. It's like it's like Ogami. Oh yeah, it's those relentless people that you know are always going to you know mm-hmm. take their job and and take it to the nth degree. But but we also know that we're supposed to be scared of them. Yeah, definitely. Very very afraid. Be very afraid. I'll, I'll bring this back in. Uh, you'll have probably edited out my first question, so I'm going to bring it up again just to see what happens here. 
But uh, what, was your, what was your first question? Well, are, are we going to see these Ogami again? I mean, are, oh. are we going to learn why they got hired? Are we going to see them again in a future episode? Or is this, or is this like the consensus of parts? Are they just going to disappear from here on out? Are you asking me that I'm right ask, now? I'm asking you. Oh, well, I can't tell you that. Okay. So, so just remember that they showed up. Yeah. Mainly because I can't really remember specifically. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. All right, then. So, yeah, we did get the Ogami. And I still think Ogami Skeletors is a great football name. Okay. All right. Well, start a franchise. <laughs> uh, what what was Rami talking about when she told Tyr that if, if Dylan was, in fact, dead? Rami said, um, I forget exactly how she phrased it, but, you, oh, he would see something different entirely. What is that something different entirely that Rami would have shown Tyr? Well, maybe she would have shown him that she can fly. There, okay. But he ended up getting to see that anyway. <laughs> yes, he did. Was was that a okay? Would is Rami going to step up and actually make bodily threats against Tyr? Does that seem right? Well, yeah, she's a warship. She's protecting her captain. I mean, there's no one that she's going to be more loyal to than her captain. Yeah. So, so I, I guess the question becomes, what is Rami's ethical programming right now? I mean, what's the state of that? Um, if there's a threat, take it out, regardless if it, if it's a single individual or if it's a spaceship? Is, well, that, I think, is that what we're looking at? I think at? Tyr kind of alludes to it. I think that whatever, whatever her, her ethical programming is, it's compromised. Because of her... Her attachment to Dylan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Which is interesting. We haven't really talked about that in a long time. You're right. Yeah, th- it, this did seem odd that Tyr especially was bringing this up mm-hmm. about the attraction to Dylan. Right. Because you're right. We haven't heard about this in a while. We haven't explored this in a while. No, because at the beginning of this series, early on in season one, it really seemed like this was going to be a thing. About every episode was alluding to it. And then by about halfway through the first season, it's really starting to go away. They're Mm -hmm. not making an issue about it anymore. And then by the end of it... Have, Have we had any allusion to that in the second season so far? I really don't think we have. I don't think so. So, yeah. So, this was kind of... Well, as I'm watching the show and Tyr brings it up, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that was a thing, (laughs) wasn't it? (laughs) I had kind of Uh forgotten about that. So, I I guess... All right. So, I guess we we do take that as she would have physically harmed him. Yeah. That's how I took it. Okay. And it shut Tyr up. So, I think that's how he took it also. Yeah. Uh, I think Tyr knows that she can cause him bodily harm, and his number one goal in life is to protect him, health, protect himself, and stay alive. Yeah. So it's probably in his best interest at that point to stop talking. <laughs> okay, I'll accept that. Okay. Um, how about the uh, how about the corrupt cops? Yeah, that was pretty wild. Interesting to see that three thousand years in the future, police brutality is still a thing. Yeah. Somehow that seems timely. I don't know. <laughs> um, Do we want to talk about that? Well, you know, 
I don't know. This isn't really a show that uh, that's about the issues, is it? <laughs> right, right. Is it? No, we yeah. try and steer clear. Uh, but, you know, it is interesting that these these particular – I don't even know if we can actually call them cops. They're more like mall cops. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Rent-a-cops, yeah. yeah. So it, they're, they're more interested in – uh, in the dollar, in the gilder. Yeah, and obviously they're not getting paid enough right. <laughs> to keep order. Right, and they're looking for absolutely any, any way to get a dirty buck. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of sad. She calls for help. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what? That's It seems ridiculous in the show, the way it's presented. It's like, well, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, in certain places in this country, in the United States, in other parts of the world... I, I'm less of an optimist now in now that I've gotten older, uh, in, in seeing the news, watching the news, and doing a little travel myself. I am less of an optimist and, and believe that you know I bet there's a lot more people that have to deal with situations like that, uncomfortably more people <laughs> than, than I would probably like to think are out there. I mean, we think of this as being a modern society and how technology and things have advanced culture, but you know, it's that isn't the case everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and even in this country, we still see uh, cops on the take and police brutality and people abusing that position of authority. And so, while it might seem cheesy on the surface and the way it's presented, um, if you really think about it, yeah, I mean, this is this is a problem. This the way society is set up today, that's that's never going to go away. Mm-hmm. So three thousand years in the future, yeah, yeah, it, it it could still be there. So Ryan, I think we should take a second and actually talk about the relationship between Tier and Ferrar. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy that before he was on Dylan's crew didn't seem like he had anyone close to being called a friend. Well, huh? Did you just a little deja vu? Yeah, that was weird. It was weird. Uh, okay. Anyway. Okay. Um, so, yeah. and uh, Farrar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. It is the first time that we've really gotten any sort of hint at any sort of relationship with anyone yeah. before this crew. Yeah. So, so, so Farrar is obviously from, from Tyr's past. Mm-hmm. I, I know we don't want to break timeline, but I do want to bring up a point. That I, I, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm reading the books. Oh, God. <laughs> and so we actually get to see a little more about this relationship between Farrar and Tyr. And it is, at least in the book, quite a bit more than, than what is what they had time to present here in this episode. Hmm. So if you just take the episode, it just seems like a kind of a throwaway point. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and you, you don't know what their history is together. But as it's presented in the book, and then you can obviously see that that is that was the relationship in the 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 show itself. Uh, Farrar was a he found Tyr the jobs that he worked as a mercenary. You know he got him and his crew set up with different you know mercenary prospects. Does that really seem like the type of person that you would consider a friend? I mean, it's just a business arrangement. Well, everything is a business arrangement for Tyr, even his friendships. Um, I mean, I, I guess if you spend enough time around someone, you can't help but grow closer to them. Yeah. Um, but but it's, okay, okay. 
But at the Especially same time, if it's a good business relationship, yes, you build that trust. You build. I think it's the same thing that I don't, I don't. I hope I'm not jumping ahead of you here, but I think it's the same thing that by the end of this episode, Rami begins to discover that Tear is is kind of developing the same thing with Dylan. Yeah, it was it was purely business. It's all about his best interests. What's in it for him? But. He trusts Dylan so much at this point. Their um, their agendas are mutually beneficial. It, he he looked genuinely upset when he thought that Dylan was dead. Yeah, just like he was genuinely upset when Farrar was dead. Yeah, but my my point that I'm trying to make with that is okay. is, is is if you're if you feel that closely to that individual, it's been a great business arrangement that you've had for, for a decade or so or however long it is. Mm-hmm. Are you really willing to sit there and watch an android almost break the guy's hand and, and be perfectly fine with that? This is tear we're talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And you're, okay, but you're obviously, Tyr, at that point, he me, doesn't am, trust am him. Am I comfortable with No, I am not comfortable okay. with that. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's good to know. This is Tyr. But Tyr is sitting there comfor- comfortable with Rami almost ready to turn this guy's hand to powder, the bones in his hand to powder. Uh, he Obviously, he doesn't trust him. You know, he, he's not treating him like a friend. And yet, when he dies, Tyr goes completely ape. On the Ogami. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it just... I didn't believe it. I didn't believe where Tyr was coming from when he said he was a friend. But at the same time, um, I, I, I guess I kind of get what you're saying is that really, Tyr's kind of shallow when it comes to his friends anyway. Yeah, exactly. Okay. No, I, I'm not saying that it's beyond the realm of possibility that he did view him as a real, genuine friend. I also think that probably Tyr doesn't treat his friends that great. <laughs> so so when I call you friend, uh-huh. it's not like if Tyr was sitting here calling you friend, yeah. you would still be fearful of Tyr. Right. Yeah, I think if you call me friend, then I'd be like, okay, cool, let's let's. Our families go to Florida together. Yeah. Okay. If Tear calls me friend, I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So you just have to accept that Tear is an Uber. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and that just they they think and they operate on a completely different plane than a normal human being. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I guess I I have a hard time making that connection, even though it's right there in front of me. Yeah. Okay. But but then further on Farrar himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does Farrar really seem like the type of guy that would at the last second jump up and run into the crossfire and say say, "Tear, look out!" <laughs> that whole thing was to me. It's just the guy was a dumb criminal. Yeah. And I don't know how he's got as far as he has, because um, we saw twice in this episode that he folds like a cheap tent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then when it comes crunch time, instead of doing something heroic, or instead of doing something smart, like just staying hidden where he was, he just jumps out and makes himself a target. He doesn't have a weapon. He just jumps out and yells. 
calls attention to himself, and then he gets dead. Mm. <laughs> I one one last thing for me. Um, the episode wasn't really about this, but they hit it a couple times, and I think as far as for our our character development is kind of important. Uh, this is the first episode that we have with a full episode of Gold Trance. Yes. Yes, that is true. And so there are several scenes that feature Gold Trance and how the rest of the crew is reacting to her. Mm-hmm. You know, we discussed in our discussion of Ouroboros how it seems so strange that this character, when she's purple, everybody loves her. Dylan... He loves her. He trusts her. He doesn't know anything about her at all. More question marks than answers about her. But, you know, whatever Trance says. She's cool. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Whatever. Now, all of a sudden, she's gold, and Dylan wants answers. Mm -hmm. How do I know that I can trust you? Well, yeah, because she's kind of hot now. And... It's, that's a little intimidating for men. Right, because before she was cute. <laughs> right. Right. You can yeah. handle cute. Yeah. It, it was like, she was like 15. Uh-huh. Uh, like, <laughs> 15. You don't, no. That's, right. You just don't think about that. Okay. But now she looks like she's, you know, over 20. Okay. Is it, So is that the difference? It's kind of for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair mm. enough. You, but you, but you have this same situation again, though. This week and this week, it's it's Harper that really has the problem. Yeah. And you think about this whole first season and a half, Harper and Trance have been besties, mm-hmm. super close. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, he has no idea who she is. Yeah, I, I think in this episode, you have, and I alluded to it, I think in Ouroboros, in the summary, they they have a moment at the very outset of the episode where it shows the fact that like you said they're besties Mm -hmm. they trust each other and then at the end when it's gold trance harper doesn't know what to think Mm -hmm. and i think in this episode lava and rockets we see even more of that Mm -hmm. and how that that trust that friendship that knowing that i guess that they have about each other that's gone right and and harper harper doesn't know how to deal with it well i mean I don't know if this was what he was getting at or not, but it almost sounded like Harper was accusing her of being either an agent of the Abyss or maybe even the Abyss itself. Hmm. He said, you know, what if you are this evil thing that that's worse than anything we've ever even seen? What yeah. if you're the thing we're fighting against? And yeah. you're just waiting for that time of when, when we're going to be weak or when, when you can get us. Yeah, you he know? was very accusatory. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that had to have been hurtful for Trance. Oh, yeah. Unless she really is a bad guy, then, you know, who is, knows? Is she a bad guy? I can't tell you that. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I guess I could, that could be hurtful. Even if she is a bad guy, don't you think it would still be hurtful? Oh, yeah. <laughs> bad guys have feelings, too. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Okay. I mean, if you're bad, you're bad, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Right. I think it's definitely going to take some time for the crew to get used to Gold Trance. Yeah. I wonder if if that's the stand-in for us. Maybe we've spent so much time with Purple Trance, and now all of a sudden it's Gold Trance, and we're like, I'm not sure about this. Maybe they're anticipating that a, a lot of the audience is going to say, I just don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, that's, well, that's a trance that I knew. Uh, honestly, I mean, I'm invested in the series. I'm invested in the show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to watch. But yeah, for me, it's I. It it is odd going from purple to gold, and I don't know what to think about it yet either. Mm-hmm. But it it is trance. Mm-hmm. It is trance. Right. It's just it's not the same trance that I got used to. Right. Yeah. So I I understand the the being standoffish and and so yeah i think that is great that the crew is reflecting perhaps you know some of my my feelings toward the character right but then at the same time as i'm saying that i'm also thinking the ones who wanted to make her gold trance they didn't like purple trance there was a reason why they made her gold trance yeah so if anything maybe if they were doing something like this they probably would have been Make all the crew would have just been like, "Oh, we are so glad to have you, Gold Trance." That purple trance was so annoying. It's just so cute and friendly the, all the, the time. Tail. I hated her. Yeah, <laughs> this is so much better. Uh, yeah, maybe so. Maybe I don't know. Uh, before we move on, yeah, to quote, I, I, I do want to bring up one other thing. Uh, Rami says to Tear, "He's afraid of being alone." Yeah, did that. Does that does that ring true with Tyr? You know what? I think again, it's just you got to look at Tyr's reaction because when Tyr has a, an argument, he's going to make it known. Yeah. If he thinks that you're wrong on something, he's going to call you out. When Rami said that to him, he sat there and just looked out into the stars. Yeah. He just looked out the windshield. Yeah, eyes forward, head down. And I thought that was very telling. Uh huh. I I really feel like we got a look, a deep look at Tear. Mm hmm. All of those interactions between Rami and Tear when they were alone on the Maru, I thought were very very well acted mm-hmm. for one, uh, and just very telling about the character. Both of those characters, mm-hmm. I thought we learned a lot about them in that. I wonder why it is that. Rami is able to call out Tyr like really no one else can. Because it's true. Because he has no respect for inorganic, you know, beings. Yeah, I mean, he could have any number of carbon chauvinistic comments to just throw back (laughs) right back at her. Right, right. But Rami just seems to to shut him down. Yeah. Anytime they get into a a dispute about anything, it's like she knows the buttons to push. Mm-hmm. She seems to be able to figure him out. I want to say like nobody else can. Yeah. Or if anyone else is able to figure him out, they're not able to articulate it the way that she is. Yeah. Kind of like I'm unable to articulate <laughs> what I'm trying to say right now. <laughs> uh, you're, you're doing a fair job. Oh, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot to me. Oh. Uh. So, right. why don't we move on to our, our quote for All this right. episode. Okay. The quote, you can't outrun death forever, but you can make the bastard work for it. <laughs> Major Corgo Korgar, Last of the Lancers, AFC 32. He sounds hardcore. Yeah, we have another, another uh, a quote from the Last of the Lancers. Mm-hmm. So, so, anyway... All right, so the quote. What do you, what do you think about that? Oh, it's it's absolutely true. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to live forever. Mm-hmm. You can't outrun death. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
dadgummit, you can try your hardest to make it work for it. Right. Yeah, I, I like it. I yeah, like it. I don't think there's a lot of real deep meaning <laughs> behind this. Yeah. I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I don't think it's really much of anything that anyone could argue with. Granted. Right. I'll, I'll accept in, that. Yeah. It's just in this universe, death is going to happen. Try to put it off as long as you can. Mm-hmm. So Out, uh, outrun it as, yeah. as long as you can, but just know that it's it's you're, you're not going to uh, you're not getting away, right? And I just saw something uh, just recently. I think it was on TV. I don't know if it was a a preview for something or a show somebody was watching. Anyway, uh, but I, just the quote stuck out to me. Um, they said uh, everyone dies. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Or how? That's like that's what I think that's what it was. I think it was how. It's just a matter of how. Okay. So, anyway, yeah, that's just the that's just the truth of of mortal beings. Yeah, that's our reality. There you have it. Yeah. There, there's, there's the the existential question explored in this podcast boiled down to its essentials right there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So Ryan, tell me, what did you think about lava and rockets? Lava and rockets. You know what? There were um, there were some some interesting things going on. I think the stuff we get from Tyr, um, looking into into his psyche just a little bit, mm-hmm. and just seeing that maybe there's something, maybe there could be a little bit more to Tyr than meets the eye. And then the stuff that we got with uh, with New Gold Trance and the crew having to adjust to that change. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Dylan on the ship with Molly flying around, uh, running from from Ogami, which they were cool. Um, at least it's a cool idea. So we'll see if they turn out to be cool or not. We'll see if we see them again. So anyway, um, but as far as them, you know, doing their, the whole thing on the ship, yeah, it was an adventure. Kind of pointless to me. Um, at least at this point, because we don't know what they were running from. But again, that's we, we also didn't like D minus zero for that reason. We didn't know who was chasing them or why. We later found out who it was and why. Uh, maybe if we had known that, it would have changed our opinion of D minus zero. But it didn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. It just seems kind of pointless. It does leave you with the question of who is it? And so, yeah, I'm I'm interested to find out what's going on. Maybe there's an interesting story that's going to come out of this. Uh, just the episode itself, it wasn't terrible. I, I didn't think it was terrible, but I didn't think it was that great. Um, no, no, I didn't think it was that great. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, for myself, honestly, um, yeah, it was interesting learning a little bit about Tyr. And like I said, the interactions between Rami and Tyr, I thought were, were, were well done. Uh, props to the, to the, to both actors for the way that was done. I, I enjoyed that. Unfortunately, that was about the only thing I enjoyed about this episode. Uh, like you mentioned, Dylan on the ship with Molly. I, I don't know what it was. I did not like Molly's character one bit. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked about her this whole episode. There's nothing to talk about. Uh, it, it was it, she was a Kirk's woman. 
you know, mm-hmm. from from the original Star Trek. I yeah. mean, Dylan was Kirk, and and Molly was a a Kirk woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she was only there for Dylan, mm-hmm. and and that's exactly what they did. I, I mentioned uh, Zach Stentz and Ashley Miller were the writers for this episode. I think that's interesting because they haven't done a love story uh, for any of these characters up to and this point. If yet. I may, I think they still haven't done a love story. <laughs> Boom! That just happened. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to interrupt you here, but there's one point that I wanted to make. Is that, like you say, we haven't really talked much about Molly. Um, all through this episode, Dylan and Molly are all kissy face the whole time. Oh, so much kissing. Okay, they I, yeah. even end up in bed together by the end of the episode. Yes. Do you notice in my summary, I told the entire story. Without any of that. Without alluding to any of it, yes. None of that was mentioned. Why? Thank you, by the way. Well, (laughs) why? Because it was totally irrelevant. Exactly. It was not important to the story at all. It was completely gratuitous. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to bring out, I I like a lot of the work that Ashley, Edward Miller, and Zach Stins have done for any, any of their episodes, really. They're great. They're, a lot of them are action centric, you know, and so we and we did have a lot of action here, but yeah, trying to put this love story and intertwine that and, and make us feel, I, were you supposed to, you know, be happy for Dylan? Was that how we were supposed to end up? Um, I guess maybe. Are we supposed to be saying, you know, great for you guys, or are we supposed to be saying good job, Dylan? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Okay. So yeah, it, you know, it, it just it yeah it it was pointless. Okay. A- and and there was so much of it that you couldn't ignore it. You just kind of had to you had to try mm-hmm. and pick out what good things were there. And honestly, I found myself really reaching for a lot of for things to talk about mm-hmm. for this episode. There really isn't a whole lot there. There's not much to sink your teeth into and and think about after after the credits rolled, I was already thinking about what's the next episode we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just where I'm at with this episode. It's not for me, it is not a good one. Mm-hmm. I I didn't like it. Yeah, I it's I give it a pass. You're giving this one a pass. I'm giving this one a pass. If you want to skip it, listener, if you haven't watched it yet, you have my permission to just move (laughs) on to the next episode. (laughs) I still put this episode as better than The Prince. You know, I... I think The Prince... For all of the production issues with that particular Mm -hmm. costume, CG, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's some problems there. I think I enjoyed watching The Prince more than I enjoyed this one. Okay. All right. That's fair. I just think that this one actually has a little bit more to it. Yeah. Uh, there's a little bit more substance. I, I mean, the the whole thing with Dylan and Molly is one of the things that bugs me the most about it. Because it, it is like you're on a double date with a couple of teenagers. And you know what? I saw the casting list on IMDb. We're going to have Molly back again. Yay. I'm not excited about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, Yay. maybe maybe she'll mature. Uh, okay. Um, she'll she'll probably be a soldier then. Okay. She'll be a little bit more rough and not so sweet. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, <clears throat> but uh, the prince had absolutely nothing. Yeah. This one at least had some character stuff that I think that in itself was was pretty important. The stuff yeah. that we had with with Tear looking into his psyche, and, and with Trance 
I, 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 this whole deal with trance, this transition with her is just so huge. Mm-hmm. And so we got to see how they're dealing with this. And this is kind of the first that we're getting of how they're dealing with this. Yeah. And it, so far, it's not yeah, good. I, I'm not going to deny the fact that there – yeah, there are some deep character things. To, yeah. It's just I, – I I can't get past the kissy face. Okay. All right. I just – that whole thing just – when I think back on the episode, immediately turns me off to it. Okay. And you're right. There, there are some good things there, but I don't think you're really going to – I don't know. I feel like we're we're going to be able to continue the whole trance exploration with the next few episodes. Okay. So, I, I'm just saying, you know, if I do my rewatch, if mm-hmm. my wife ever decides she wants to watch it, I might skip that one. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So, what about the listeners? What did they think? Well, we'd like certainly like to hear from them and, and hear what what you guys thought about the episode Lava and Rockets. And if you wanted to do so, you could send us an email to drivebackthenightpodcast at gmail.com. Attached with three million guilders. Yeah. We'd really like to get We'd out of this really place. like to... Yes, we would like to get out of here. What's what's for breakfast tomorrow? They said something about... Uh, what, did, what did they say it was? Oh, Castilian oatmeal. Oh, man. That's so gross. Fishy. It's like fish eggs or something. I think it's not oats. I think it's scales. Oh. Ugh. Gross. <laughs> so, yeah, send us that money. Drive back the night podcast at gmail.com. And we're on Podbean. That's where you can find us every episode of Drive Back the Night. www. A whole year's worth. That's right. Yeah. A whole year's worth of Drive Back the Night. Uh, Andromeda Series. Podbean.com. Mm hmm. And if you listen to us on iTunes, we would certainly appreciate you taking a moment and leave us a review. Leave us some stars. We'd certainly appreciate that. And be sure to subscribe. We're on the social media, Facebook and Twitter, using the handle AndromedaPod at both of those places. And we hope that you will join us back here again next time as we discuss the episode, Be All My Sins Remembered. 